Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Welcome to the ICMA podcast. My name is Mushtaq Kapasi, and I'm ICMA's Chief Representative for Asia Pacific, based in Hong Kong. Today, we'll be talking about sustainable oceans and the role of the capital markets. We're delighted to have as our guest today, Suzanne Johnson, Senior Advisor, Sustainable Ocean Business at the United Nations Global Compact. Hello, Suzanne. Delighted to have you here with us today. Thanks, Mishtaf. Great to be here. Well, excellent. So we're going to talk a bit about capital markets, about sustainable oceans, what that all means, some of the technical aspects of it as well. But first, I'd like to know a little bit about yourself. And for you personally, how did you get involved in ocean issues? Why are they important to you? And of course, we worry about rising sea levels. We worry about marine pollution and other ocean problems, but are there other aspects to ocean sustainability that most people might not be aware of? Thanks. Yeah, great question. And hi to everybody listening. You know, all of us who are listening to this have some sort of connection, I would expect, with the ocean. I mean, they're big, they're deep, and they're precious, and they're mysterious. And so many of us either live on the coast or lives within 100 kilometers of it. You know, the things that we get from it are so much. We get joy, we medicine, food, energy, culture, and we get life too. One out of every two breaths that we take comes and, and is produced in the ocean, which I think says right there the importance of the ocean to us. And the ocean just holds 80% of the world's biodiversity too. At the same time, we have so many stressors on the ocean. We have climate change, we have acidification, we have overfishing. Most of our trash goes into the ocean and we're seeing habitat destruction, biodiversity loss, pollution, everything. And a lot of that's because the ocean has been out of sight and out of mind historically. Conditions are harsh and unpredictable and you need special materials and infrastructure to withstand these harsh conditions. And there's unscrupulous activity in fishing, for example, and there's a lot of organized crime in the ocean and shipping and fishing are some of the most dangerous industries in the world. So in some ways, the ocean is the wild west too. We have a connection, but it's also something unknown to us. And, you know, on land, people can knock on your door and say, get your act together. But out on the open sea, it's not so easy. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. It's it's hard to regulate in a sense. I mean, speaking as a lawyer, it's it's very much the the unknown realm. And unlike the rest of the world or land, which is quite, uh, it seems like we can see everything now, but uh, the oceans are still, uh, still another kind of place. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And so we have this connection. And and where my real connection and, and my background comes into play is I've, I've worked in the, the, the power sector and also the water and wastewater business. And I've also worked with a company called Lloyd's Register, which is this unique uh, UK-based 300-year-old company that assures the safety of the world ships um, and helps design and develop ocean infrastructure to help them withstand the harsh conditions and make sure that the infrastructure is safe and that people who work in the ocean are safe. And so as I was working in these different sectors that take place in the ocean, actually, you see that the ocean is a risk, but it also, it offers so many opportunities. So historically, we've looked at the ocean as a victim for the bad things that we've just mm. talked about, but, but now there's so much opportunity in the ocean. And you can think that 
a lot of the solutions that need to happen to solve climate change, hunger, the world's energy needs can happen in the ocean. So if you take, for example, climate change, 20% of the greenhouse gas emission reductions that need to take place need to take place in the ocean. So this is a story too of, of hope because we need to use the oceans in a safe and sustainable way to, to come up with these solutions. Okay, so before we get into that, and we will talk about the actual opportunities there, it's not just about saving dying oceans, but it's also about potential investments, potential opportunities for investors, um, potential new kinds of technologies, um, and we'll talk about those in just a bit. But first of all, maybe the audience would probably want to know exactly what does the UN Global Compact do in this space? What is the um, role that you play um, in terms of uh, sustainable oceans and the financial markets? Well, first, just to talk a little bit about what the Global Compact is. Um, yes, is, please. Yeah, it's the, it's the private sector branch of the UN. It was a, a special initiative of the Secretary General that was started just over 20 years ago. And it's the thought that as we push towards sustainable development goals or making the world a better place, governments have a big role, but so does the private sector. And so the, the Global Compact has over 12,000 companies, kind of leading companies around the world who've signed a set of principles around sustainability and their actions around sustainability. So that makes it the largest corporate sustainability initiative in the world. And what it does really, it, it brings together companies and asks them to sign up to the basic principles of of the UN around uh, human rights, anti-corruption, environment, and labor rights, and also helps them to help advance the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, through their strategies. And I'm working on a particular part of the Global Compact that thinks about oceans and how can the private sector work with governments and NGOs and research institutions to help advance a more healthy and productive ocean. So we bring together all of these parties, a lot of the different UN family bodies like the FAO and the, the labor and the International Maritime Organization and IOC, UNESCO. And, and we try to come up with solutions to help advance a, a, a more productive ocean. Okay, excellent. So I'm sure part of what you are doing is trying to think about how the financial sector can get involved in investing in the ocean in kind of win-win situations in terms of um, helping to uh, allay some of the deleterious effects of climate change and other um, deteriorations of the ocean. So let's get a little bit practical here. What do you see as some of the opportunities for commercial investment, maybe even government investment as well in the oceans? I mean, is the ocean actually investable? How is that so? <laughs> well, Maybe just to talk a little bit about some of the broad categories of commercial sure. investments. So there's really an opportunity for companies and investors to avoid bad investments. So and financial markets are so key to helping investors and companies manage risk. So right now, one of the big ocean industry sectors is shipping. And international shipping historically has burned very polluting fuel oil. But now there's an effort underway to decarbonize the world's fleet. And so as ships are starting 
to get built in these next, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll start to be in the water over the next five years and running on clean fuels like ammonia and green hydrogen. Mm. You know, there's this risk. Ship owners don't want to be stuck with a stranded asset of a, a ship that used to, uh, you know, that burns the heavy polluting stuff, but it's no longer allowed or um, approved by society. So there's this opportunity to avoid risks and bad investments. But, you know, markets too are very good at, they want to take part in future solutions. So, I mean, if you think about just 10 years ago and where electric vehicles were, this has nothing to do with the ocean, but they've just taken off. And there's there's equally, there's a lot of solutions that are happening in the ocean that you can see the markets wanting to get behind. One is, for example, the scale of offshore renewables. Because if you think about it mm. now, mm. offshore renewables, well, they have the potential of providing offshore wind. The World Bank, for example, says 18 times our current electricity demand can be supplied by offshore wind. And we're seeing that as we start to see the buildup of offshore wind, but it's going to need to scale up quite exponentially. Right now, that wind is fixed, so it's fastened to the bottom of the ocean with those pylons. But as time goes on, we're going to see floating, and that will open up much more of the ocean. In fact, we're probably going to see a lot of floating industries. We'll see floating factories, floating airports, all kinds of floating things <laughs> that are infrastructure that need to be invested in as we go forward into the future. The journey is well, starting. That's, that's super interesting. Um, actually, I have two questions on that, if you don't mind my asking. First of all, um, in terms of offshore renewables, are there other examples that you feel personally are, are promising? I've heard of wave energy, for example, but um, maybe there are others that I'm missing, or is it pretty much mostly about um, offshore wind power? And then, sorry, my second question is, what is the use of, what is the benefit of floating factories? Why, why is that uh, potentially more sustainable than, um, than those on lands? What are the opportunities there? Well, well, first on your renewables, I think the fundamental premise here is our land on earth is being used up. There's, we don't have so much free land anymore. And that goes for agriculture, right. that goes for energy, that goes for, for everything. And so in the world, we're gonna have a billion more people in the next 20 years, uh, 20 to 30 years. And so how do we feed them? How do we provide those energy needs for them? How do we transport the goods that everybody wants? And we're going to need to use the ocean for that. So from the from the floating perspective, um, in terms of airports and factories, and that just gives us more space to use. The thing is, and the catch is, it needs to be built in a sustainable way. And and again, that goes into another whole topic and whole school, which is this concept of a well-managed ocean. And as we use, as the oceans get busier, how do different sectors interact in a positive and sustainable way? Um, right. And not to mention the potential political aspects to that as well. I suspect oceans are subject to various claims. And geographically, geologically, what happens in one part of the ocean is going to affect what happens in other parts of the world as well. So I can imagine this creates extra complexity there. Yes, absolutely. Talking about some of the industries that are going to develop in the ocean, I want to say that one to watch is seaweed because oh, yes. seaweed is an incredible natural resource. It can provide 
great source of income for coastal communities around the world. But, but listen to this. So seaweed can add if we grow it up and it's a very fast growing plants. It's all kinds of, it's not just one type of seaweed, lots of different types of seaweeds. They can add 10% to the world's current food supply by adding just 0.03% of the ocean surface, 0.03% and you get 10% of the world's food. Mm -hmm. And between seaweed and algae, that's responsible for 50% of the photosynthesis on earth. And mm -hmm. by 2050, seaweed production can absorb about 135 million tons of CO2 a year and 30% of all nitrogen, it absorbs it entering the oceans from land-based pollution, that's big. And there's a great momentum around growing up seaweed right now, um, especially on the run up to um, the Glasgow Climate Accords. Well, I confess I, I know nothing about this industry. It, it, it sounds fascinating, though. I mean, in terms of seaweed production, is it already a large industry in terms of, kind of agricultural production? Or how is seaweed grown and harvested nowadays? Seaweed is mostly harvested in Asia and Southeast Asia and also some in Africa, but it's very fast growing. And it's not so much in the Western diet. It has great potential right. for cattle feed because it also reduces their methane emission too. Um, but it actually is poised to scale up quite dramatically in the West. One other thing, let me just say, as we're talking about the sustainable development goals and just talking about seaweed here, a lot of it could add a hundred million jobs around the world in terms of scaling up seaweed and its farming and its processing. Hmm. But right now, if you look in Tanzania, it's a lot of women who are doing this very basic seaweed harvesting. And then they typically sell their seaweed to people who have more access to a higher, more profitable part of the value chain. So those people will dry it and powderize it and sell it for up to 40 times more. And so yeah. one thing that's going on, and actually, if we think about equity and access to good jobs, is there is an effort to give women access to drying and powderizing. It's very simple technology. And then automatically increase their family's revenue and the, the money that they're bringing home to feed their children by six to 40 times. So that, that's interesting too. There's a lot of potential for, for seaweed from a, a, a nutrition point, a jobs point, an equity point, and a climate point. Yeah, and that highlights a major theme today that we're hearing about is the interaction among all of the different aspects of sustainability, the different SDGs, even you know, green bonds, blue bonds, uh, any kind of uh, environmentally advantageous bond nowadays has to at least not have any social harm, right? Um, and ideally have some sort of social benefit. So extremely important point. But let me segue a little bit to really specific work that, that we have in common, which are bonds, sustainable bonds that are used to fund sustainable projects in the oceans. And uh, you've been very active in this space. Um, you've been working on uh, blue bonds, which are actually in compliance with the, the green uh, bond principles. Very happy about that. And I'm wondering if you can just share one or two examples, one or two case studies of bonds that you've worked on that you've seen in the market being successfully launched. And in particular, what are the use of proceeds? What are the types of projects that these are funding that investors are looking at and that the issuers are, are able to uh, tap into? Let me talk a little bit about what we're seeing in the markets and issuances so far. 
if you think about it, blue bonds are probably where green bonds were 10 years ago. So green bonds have had a phenomenal trajectory and most people in looking at blue bonds feel as though they're in this space where green bonds were 10 years ago. So, so similar to green bonds, what we've seen so far, at least starting out a few years ago, three years ago, was the first blue bond was issued by the Seychelles. And that was around conservation and protection. And that was kind of the initial theme of blue. That was the first sovereign blue bond. And that was a relatively small bond, $15 million, a 10 year. And that went towards expanding marine protected areas and developing the ocean economy. And that's so important, obviously, for the Seychelles. But then just two years later, or a year and a half later, we started to see companies get into this. So we saw a number of, um, in 2020, we saw a number of seafood companies issuing like Moby, which is the seafood mm. company or Greg Seafood, which is a signatory to the UN Global Compact's Sustainable Ocean Principles, which I'll talk about later. But they, Moby and Greg's uh, issued a green bond. They were, they were called green, but these were to fund environmentally sustainable aquaculture. Sorry, I'll just clarify that this kind of project is one of the categories allowed under the green bond principles uh, that are published by CMA. So you can have comp in compliance with the green bond principles um, and still um, fund projects that are protecting the ocean or that are sustainable ocean investments. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So they were called green, but they they benefited the uh, benefited the ocean, and they kind of really showed that there's no contradiction between clean seas, healthy fish, and financial profit. But then we've seen some other types of companies and issuers. So pretty recently, the Icelandic banks, a couple of Icelandic banks, issued some bonds. Again, they were green, but they had built in significant key performance indicators into their bond framework that encouraged lending towards activity in the ocean. And then this was really exciting, actually, just at the end of, very end of last year, the China bank issued Asia's first inaugural blue bond, and that was called blue. Um, it was aligned with ICMA green bond principles. Um, and the proceeds were used to expand the sustainable ocean economy, particularly looking at growing offshore renewable energy and wastewater treatment. And actually, I, I will point out for, for that, for the China bond, the China bank bond, is that there's been a number of policies in China recently that encouraged the growth of the blue economy. So, so this, this bond was kind of expanding on that. So we've had some initial bond issuances around blue, and we know from talking to, we regularly talk to um, companies and CFOs who are part of the global compact. And there's a lot of, a lot of companies who are now looking at this um, and thinking about this. And when you look at the thematic market, as you know, we've seen phenomenal growth and, and there's over two, probably trillion dollars of outstanding issuance right now. And there's every sign that demand is outstripping supply. And so we, Definitely. we yeah, we think this trend's going to continue and we're going to see more and more investors um, see sustainable, but also blue as an asset class. Um, so we, we expect 
that um, we expect to see a big growth. And let me just make another comparison to the green bond market. One of the key cornerstones of, of getting the, the green bond market going was some government, uh, government issue and also the interest of the multilateral development banks. That's right. And I am really excited, actually, because the Global Compact has just co-authored a paper with the, inter the private sector uh, branch of the Inter-American Development Bank, which is part of the World Bank family, to scale up blue bonds in the Latin American Caribbean region. The IDB and the Inter-American Development Bank was seminal in growing the green bond market in that region. Um, and it's been involved in now 20% of all issuances in the region. It's now turning its eyes and its attention to growing blue in the region. And this will probably create a cornerstone of the blue bond market in the region. We're also seeing other members of the family of the World Bank look to other regions to do the same thing. So this is, this is a seminal moment uh, in blue. Okay, well, that's very promising. And I, I do think you're probably right in implying that the ocean-related issuance, I think, has been a material but relatively small part of the overall sustainable finance world. And from what you've been saying, you know, the opportunities are, are, are pretty immense and perhaps underappreciated until now. And the leadership of the official sector entities and issuers is very important here. Okay, well, one last question for you. Now, we've talked a lot about ocean industries, ocean economies, ocean-related sectors, but what about for companies and industries that aren't directly related to the ocean? Um, how can they help as well? I mean, what are some of the ways that market participants can consider their overall business operations, their supply chain, so forth, in a more holistic way to contribute to sustainable management of the ocean? Great question. And you're right, because there's companies that have clear direct impact on the ocean, like ports and shipping and renewables and fisheries, right. and aquaculture. But then there's ones that don't necessarily operate in the ocean, and they also have uh, an impact. So you think about manufacturing and its waste and the practices it has in its value chain, for example. How about consumer packaged goods in the, in the plastic waste it has, or agriculture with its chemical runoffs? All of those have enormous impact on the ocean, even though these are land-based infrastructure. One of the ways to start when you're thinking about your impact on the ocean is the UN Global Compact has a set of sustainable ocean principles. And these are, these are nine principles that a company can use to assess its impact and its also ability to positively influence the ocean. They're directed at executive or boards of companies and they can be used for due diligence and they can also be used as a way for a company to express their stewardship towards the ocean. But the, the sustainable ocean principles take into account both companies directly operating in the ocean and those that have impact on it. So I would very much recommend to all of us today to, to take a look at those and see to see how, how your company can engage with those. 
Just a follow-up question to that, because I know that impact reporting is a, a big topic in, in the overall sustainable finance world, sometimes a challenge for, for corporates. I mean, what has been your experience in speaking with and working with regular industries or not, you know, maybe not immediately related to the ocean industries? Are they tracking this sort of thing? Are they, um, are they aware even of some of the, the impacts that their operations are having on the ocean? I mean, where are we right now in, in terms of awareness and in terms of the accuracy of reporting? It's a great question. So when you think about, for example, the sustainable development goals, and you look at corporate funding into each of those 17, the number 14, which is around life below water and the ocean, has historically been one of the least funded by corporations and by companies. So what that indicates is that yeah, the ocean has been out of sight and out of mind. However, this is this is changing. So I think there was a, a survey done, investors, for example, who said the vast majority, it was about three quarters, viewed the oceans now as investable. And over half considered that one of the top three issues in investing by 2030 will have to do with the ocean. So we're seeing this change. And Whereas companies may not have thought about their relationship so much with the ocean, we're seeing oceans rise on the global agenda very rapidly. Part of it is a link to climate change. And that's one thing because action yes. has to take place in the ocean. So that's raising our awareness. What's well, the most obvious kind of effect of climate change is the rising sea levels. That's, uh, that'll get the headlines. But I think what you've raised are a lot of the, the more subtle issues involved. And it's not just about climate change when it comes to the oceans, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very, very much. This has been an incredibly interesting conversation for me. Um, I wish I could talk to you more, but that's all the time we have for this podcast. Again, we encourage our listeners to go to your website. United Nations Global Compact and take a look at Ocean Action. Okay, great. And for those of you who have comments about this podcast or ideas for other topics, on ICMA podcasts, please feel free to contact us at APAC at icmagroup.org. That's APAC at icmagroup.org. Well, thank you again, Suzanne, and thank you to all of our listeners out there. We wish you good health and an excellent summer. Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website icmagroup.org